Ladies and gents, what do you do if you go for a fish and then you come back empty-handed? Well, you hop on the Shroom Life podcast like what I'm doing right now. Welcome to the podcast tonight. I've got a guest. I've got a special guest who's going to be talking about brim fishing in southeast Queensland. Hopefully with these tips, we're going to catch more brim, especially me as well. Today, yeah, not so good for me. That's why I'm on this podcast. We've got to get some leveling up. Anyway, the guest I'm going to introduce, his name is Grant Redbeard Adventures Painter. And like I said, he's focusing on brim fishing tonight in this podcast, but he's a very experienced and dedicated angler in that Queensland area. He chases a variety of species from your brim to jacks. That's his probably his second most chased species and also jewies as well on the side. So you're going to find him out there pretty much every day having a flick, having a go. And I guess he's just like us, a true addict in every sense of the word. And of course... We're going to get into it and feed that addiction. So just like everyone, we chase that adrenaline hit. So let's welcome to the podcast tonight, Grant Painter, Redbeard Adventures. How you going, mate? Good, mate. How are you? Well, like I told you, <laughs> I've gone for a fish and uh, it wasn't so good for me today. So that's why the podcast is the next best thing. That's it. That's it. Always learning. Well... Before we get into this podcast, let's just talk about my day. My day basically involved chasing brim, but in Sydney, with this much rain, it's been on and off, on and off. It's hard to sort of figure out where the bait are, besides pretty much where the mullet are. That I can find at all times. But it's just been a period where they're either very well fed, and they've just turned pretty finicky at this stage. And so that's pretty much my day. How was your day? I uh, wasn't too bad, mate. I was going to go for a fish, but then remember we have this podcast, so it's probably going to be a very late night fish if I go for one today. Good man, good man. That's right, <laughs> ladies and gents. <laughs> the, we are we are lucky to have him tonight. And uh, without further ado, let's continue on with this podcast here. So, first of all, you know we've talked uh, you know quite a bit over the you know the the recent history, recent past, but. How would you introduce yourself to someone that doesn't know who you are? Like, so what is your fishing background? Uh, I guess it comes down to my granddad on my mom's side. Uh, he used to chase sharks in a very small tinny out at sea. And I guess it's flown from him into me. And I've always liked fishing since I was a young kid. And it's just gotten into a bit more of an addiction now that I'm older. Yeah. Now, just to cut you off there, you said... On a little tinny chasing sharks? Yeah, I, when I say little tinny, I've got a photo somewhere. I can't find I don't know where it is, but it looks no bigger than a 3.5 and he's out at ocean chasing Ooh. sharks. Yeah, wow. mental. Yeah, not for the faint of heart, as I say. Not at I all. I mean, I've not had a time when I've been on any sort of watercraft and had a shark come up, but I've seen plenty of videos, Grant. People in kayaks with or paddle boards with their legs dangling over the side, and some shark has come up and brushed their leg or you know their boat, or yeah. tried to bite, you know the uh, the motor. They say you know the electrodes or the metals that send out those electrical impulses. That sort of thing it must play on, it must have played on your mind at some stage. Yeah, I guess it did. Like I've been offshore a few times chasing jewies and whatnot like that, and. Uh... It does play in the back of your head a little bit every now and again that there could be something bigger lurking below. Luckily, I've never seen anything while I've been out, but yeah, it's pretty hairy. You can get it. Yeah. Well, 
the first thing you've learned there is that, you know, you're pretty brave. Uh, you're willing to get out on a boat, chase fish and, you know, sort of feed that addiction. I think a lot of us sort of do understand where that comes from. I think uh, the next question that I really want to ask you is, so how did, how did that translate into your love of brim fishing? Because like this podcast, we're going to talk about brim fishing. We're going to be talking about brim specifically. And, you know, you've got a lot of knowledge on that. And at some stage you would have fallen in love with that sport. Yeah, basically um, it came about oh, a while ago now. Um, I used to enjoy just all types of fishing. And then we started hitting one of our local marinas and noticed that obviously in a marina there's always – an insane amount of brim in there. So from that point, it went from running like 10 and 12 pound liters to let's see how silly we can get with it. And I think we went down from 10 and 12 pound liters and uh, braid down to like six and six and four and four. And every now and again, we'll go and chase brim on the flats using like two pound fluoro and three pound fluoro and stuff like that. That's insane. I mean, a lot of people do use a really light, what do they call silly string uh, poundages yeah. uh, on the flats? It's it's really nice. It's very challenging, of course, and you get you get the bite, don't you? If you step it down, that must have been something that you found out in that period of learning and experimenting. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, there's been days there where we'll be out and you can literally see fish five foot in front of you, but they're not going to eat anything. Uh, so we've been using like we'll start out using six pound, which is what we normally use, but you can see the fish, they're not feeding, so you'll drop down leader to four pound and that that two pound difference is one of the big differences in what may get you the bite. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, so we're getting sidetracked, but this obviously is a brim question. So, hey, this is what we're, we're here <laughs> for anyway. <laughs> two pound, how does one use two pound? Is it two pounds straight through? I mean, three yes. pound I would use straight through. So it came down to the start of the comp series last year um, and I went into my local, which is Sporties Fishing. It's pretty much the only place that I go to to get anything. Uh, the guy who owns it, sidetracked here, the guy who owns it, Tony, is one of the best brim fishermen on the coast um, and that's one person who I've learned a lot through. So basically I went in and seen Tony and I'm like, I need to put line on this reel for straight through and basically when i'm using straight through it's mainly your hard bodies like your chubbies and that kind of thing and i'm like i need to get some straight through fluoro to put on it and i was happy to go four maybe three and he goes basically he turned around and he goes all i've got is two and i had a comp that weekend and i was like well looks like i'm using two pound and it cost me a little bit of money i lost i think i lost about seven or eight little uh Swim it, uh, little hard bodies divers. Yeah, yeah, little hard bodies, basically little jackal chubbies and whatnot like that. I lost four of them, and I lost four of them in in one pontoon basically. And then the last one that I threw in there pulled it out, and it was a thirty centimeter jack. And I was like, okay, that makes sense as to why I've been losing all my lures. Yeah, we don't have that problem down here in Sydney of getting sniped by these what do you call them red dogs? Basically, these yeah, big- jacks, reds. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. They're very ferocious little bar. Yeah. And I can imagine you don't really have a chance in structure on such light lines. I mean, Jack with Chubbies are what, 20, 20 odd bucks a pop? Yeah, they're fantastic. You're looking moves. at about like 25, 26 bucks a pop, basically. And when you're throwing them around pontoons and one of them gets taken on by a Jack when you're running three to two to four pound line, 
you don't have much chance at all. A curious question here. What color do you like in the Jackal Chubby? Uh, that day, it all depends on the watercolor, to be completely honest. Um, darker colors, darker water, lighter colors, lighter water is essentially the way I go. Uh, that, like day that, that day that I lost four, they were all the uh, black ones. Right. And the AU, I'm pretty sure it's called. What about the rattle? They have two versions, don't they? One has a rattle and one is silent. From memory, the ones that I was using that day were silent. So, yeah. Interesting. All right. We're going to obviously delve deeper into this as a podcast goes on. You know, just a few bunch of fun, easy questions, get to know the guest sort of stuff. So let's talk about your latest trip, like your latest trip, maybe outside of your general lo- locality. Um, Where'd you go and what were you chasing? I think the the last, do you mean fishing session or like actual like holiday to fish? Like I say, holiday. Uh, I think the last time would have been around this time last year. I went to Ailey Beach for a week. Uh, right. It wasn't... It was fun. Uh, basically, it was all land-based. We had a couple of hiccups before we left, so it left us carless, which wasn't too fun. But Oh, no. Uh, yeah, it was <laughs> fairly frustrating. It was definitely a trip to remember with getting flights cancelled and whatnot. But other than that, it was a good fun trip. We managed to get a few fish on the board and basically fished places you probably shouldn't. But, you know, you got to try and get the fish somehow, don't you? That's right. Any memorable catches from that trip? Uh, dropping a tiny little pla- uh, Savage Gear prawn on top of a cod and it inhaling it and nearly bricking me was probably one of the funniest things. Yeah, I guess uh, when they hit unexpectedly, that amount of joy. Oh, uh, It was good fun, I'll tell you that much. Do you recommend, would you go back to Early Beach? I'm actually in the works of going back up there in November this year. So right, yes. Fantastic. Any target in particular or uh, any goals or boxes that you want to tick off whilst well, you're back up there the second time? This time we're actually driving up and taking a boat. So the plan is to hit some shallow reefs, try and get a few reef species and go up the creeks and chase Jackson Barrow, basically. If you had a choice of another destination, so you sort of have already have decided that you're going to go back up there, is there any other place, any other part of Australia that that you would like to give a go, visit one day? As as funny as this may sound, I want to come down to Sydney and bang some kingies so badly. Right. So I think that's on one of the lists for to do fairly soonish kind of thing. Yeah, the, the kingfish scene in Sydney is improving. Uh, yeah, I never really saw it as one of those big attractions, but I, can, I, I think I've had a few people now tell me that they wouldn't mind fishing in particular Sydney Harbour. Yeah, I think it's more the fact that, like, you obviously get the views of the harbour and whatnot like that, but I think it's more the fact that you don't really get kingfish like you do up here as you do down there kind of thing. So it'd be nice to go down there and target them, get a couple under the belt, and then just try and see how big of a fish we can get on how light of a setup we can use kind of thing. Oh, wow. You're going to find... Uh, have you caught one before? <laughs> no, that's another reason why I'd like to come down. Yeah, I think uh, it would be definitely an eye-opening experience. I always forget how powerful they are. Every every time I go through a period having not caught them for a couple of months or maybe several months, and you hook onto a little one, we call them rats, uh, rat yep. kingfish. Yep. You just can't get... You can't believe how hard they can pull sometimes. It's just... 
you bring it up and it's like, oh, it's only that big. How <laughs> it felt like I was pulling up something bigger, like a submarine. It's it's funny you say that. You kind of have the same thing with uh, like jacks. Uh, we were fishing uh, just before Christmas. Went out in my mate's boat, and I seen like a little bait flicker on the surface, and I threw a jackal over there, ran it back through, and got hit by this jack. Gave a really good fight, and I bring it up, and it would be no bigger than twenty five centimeters. And right. these things, yeah, the, these things are very dirty, which is which is why it makes them so fun. Yes, I can imagine. I haven't caught a jack yet. I mean, I had I've had some chances when I went up to you know far north queensland in that mining town weeper yep i know you know, spent gone. spent about uh 10 days there caught a you know a bunch of new variety of you know different varieties of fish and ticked off you know all these things off the bucket list so to speak which is obviously going to be my next question but yeah i just the mangrove jacket just eluded me and i'm still sort of in the back of my mind thinking you know how how's that fight everyone talks talks about it one day. Well, let me put it this way. Uh, I've got a friend who lives maybe 25 minutes south of me and he's been chasing jacks and he's using 20-pound leader and he's been smoked multiple times in the last week and a half or so. And I've said to him a couple of times, you need to get 40-pound, you need to get 40-pound. So I run – basically I run minimum like 30-pound braid, 30-pound leader, sometimes 40. And, uh, yeah, that will – they're very dirty fish. They know exactly where they need to go home and they'll do anything they can to get there. Yeah, that's sort of just, it's a sobering thought thinking that you need 40 and up sometimes. It's just I, for a... I've got a couple of friends on the coast that run like 60 and 80 pound and they're getting smoked by jacks on 80 pound. That's insane. Yeah, it's pretty hectic. <laughs> now... I've just mentioned a little bit about some bucket list fish. Anything that is on your particular list that you would like to tick off besides the yellowtail kingfish? Uh, well, obviously, yeah, the kingfish. Uh, when we go up to Early Beach, I want to get a couple of cold trout, that kind of thing. Uh, barramundi, I haven't chased barramundi. Like, there's barramundi on the Gold Coast, but I haven't gone out to chase them on the Gold Coast. Um, so that's another thing that I'll try and get in Early, but... If money wasn't an issue, there's two fish that I would love to go chase. Uh, yep. I'd like to go to PNG and chase black bass because that, right, yep. that just looks insane. And I'd love to go to Oman and chase brim because have you seen the size of the brim that are over there? They're like yes. 60 and 70 centimeter <laughs> brim and that would just be one insane fish to catch. A small Omani brim is literally max-sized brim in Australia, like from yeah. what I've seen. From what I've seen as well, yeah, it's insane. And that would just, yeah, that would be, like, be so much fun. What do you think they look like? Do you think they look more like a silver or a black brim? It, they've got this weird sort of dark. It's like a hybrid, really. Like, it's really hard. Like, I've seen some that are, like, really, really, really dark. And then I've seen some that are, like, crystal clear, like, almost like see-through silver type of thing. So I yep. guess I'm not. Sure. I I don't know much about. Oh, don't actually. I don't know anything about chasing them over there. But I guess it all depends on where they are and whatnot, like that. Understandable. Now let's move on and talk about brim fishing. Like on this podcast, I love stories, especially. So if you got a story about anything, about any capture or experience, that's what the viewers love here. But I'd like to ask you. You probably caught about a zillion brim. 
I, I mean, we yeah, all have close to it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, there's probably about a dozen like very memorable captures. Is there a like a really interesting one that you'd like to share, or like a funny one, or or like maybe your biggest one, your most impressive one? Um, I think the most one of the best days I've had brim fishing. I went out with the boys from Sporties, Tony and one of the other fellows there, and we went out solely to film a video because obviously I do videos as well, um, went out solely to film a video for the Sporties YouTube channel on chasing brim in dirty water with uh, like jackal chubbies and uh, like the pro lure crankbaits and that kind of So it's basically called cranking, cranking for brim in dirty water. Yeah. Um, we were on the water for, from memory, three and a half hours. Now, I went back through the footage because we were curious as to how many fish we caught. I went back through the footage and in that three and a half hours using just crankbaits, no scent, nothing like that, and it was basically at three and four pounds straight through fluoro, we caught over a hundred fish. Wow. And I think there would have been maybe, uh, I reckon it would have been less than a fifth of those fish were undersized. Yeah. So that was an insane fishing day. And to be like, I only fished for maybe like the last hour, if that, because I was filming all the day and I still caught nearly 30 fish to myself. So that, that one day there was probably one of the best days that I've ever had out solely chasing broom. That's insane. First of all, the amount of numbers, that's incredible. And most of them being over, you know, the legal limit as well means that every hookup was a good fight to some extent. Oh, definitely, definitely. And it's not like we weren't just chasing them on – it was all in like the canals up here. We weren't chasing them just on pontoons and that, but it was pretty much everywhere. Like there was three of us in the boat, two up the front, I was up the back, and it was basically just cast, wine, cast, wine, fish, 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 and it's just – yeah, excuse me. Um, That's incredible, was, Grant. It was an insane day. It was very, very fun. Like obviously, this is probably the wrong phrase. Like open water in in a canal, but literally you're just casting 360 around the boat with three blokes, and yep, I'm on, or yep, I'm on, and essentially it yeah, you, it was... you're casting you're casting over like um, sandbanks and like rocky banks and stuff like that. So you're casting obviously towards the shore, not just out in the open water type of thing. So you're always right. casting at like a little bit of structure, but not structure, if that makes sense. Yeah. That would, yeah, that certainly makes sense. I was just imagining it was just one of those days where you just couldn't put a foot wrong, like if you dropped a lure in. I mean, essentially, yeah. Like we just – so the guys that I was with obviously know where the fish are and it was just – it was one of those days where the fish were just on and it's like I don't – I think you could have thrown a silly string into the water with nothing on it and I reckon they would have eaten it. It was just one of those days where it was a very, very good day. Do you like fishing canals? Is that – a sort of yeah. structure type that you prefer to fish in and you visit often? Yeah, canals is probably the um, – canals and bridges for myself is probably the main things that we fa- we chase. Um, obviously, if I have a boat, it's canals and pontoons and stuff like that. But when I'm land-based, it's 90% of the time it's bridges. Look, uh, I think it's time to s- sort of start hitting the meaty sections of the podcast. Like I said, Grant, it's your podcast. You can take it whichever direction that you'd like to take it in. But, you know, here's a question that we could get started on, and that's, is there something about brim in particular that you have understood and learned and discovered about them over the years that other people, other anglers, they may not know? Um, I, once again, I have to 
right back to Tony at Sporties because most of the stuff that I know is through him. Going out fishing with him, just talking to him in store and whatnot like that. He's honestly one of the brim gods of the Gold Coast and he's awesome. Uh, basically, one thing I've worked out is they're very, like obviously they're very finicky. They'll eat bait no matter what. That's fine. But um, once you scare them, they will always come back for another look. So yeah. it's like... Like I throw a lot of top water. We love throwing top water for brim because it's just so much fun. And throwing your top water in there for brim, as soon as your lure hits the water, like you can cast on top of them. Lure hits the water, they'll scatter. But three or four seconds later, they come back over and be like, "Ooh, what's that kind of thing?" So it's like they, when they're skittish, they're skittish. But some ninety percent of the time, they're going to come back, and they're very inquisitive fish. So yeah, very inquisitive. Yeah, that's 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 the word that I was thinking of as you were explaining it. Explaining that they're, I guess they're a little bit like kingfish as well. I guess it's not probably not right to sort of compare the two, but they'll have a look. I mean, they they move quickly, they get scared, but then they'll come back and then they'll sort of approach it in their own time and own sort of demeanor. Well, that's it. Yeah, it's the same as it's same as brim. Like I've seen, like we've been doing comps and whatnot like that, and we'll see brim sitting on the edge of a pontoon feeding, and we'll skip a plastic up next to the pontoon. It'll hit the pontoon. And basically every time we're in the boat fishing like that and you hit the pontoon, it'll make like a knock sound. And it's basically you'll hear the other person on the boat saying knock, knock, and then lure falls down and whack 90% of the time they're going to come back and eat it. So it's essentially when you're casting up pontoons, hitting the pontoon is like knocking on the door to see if anyone's home. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Let's talk about some of your favorite ways to basically fish for brim on the Gold Coast. So, like I've actually never, I've never been up that way, so I don't sort of understand the terrain. How would you describe it? So I know that so far from what you've explained to me, there's canal systems, which are, you know, you, you've got flats and pontoons, and it's probably you know residential by the sounds of things. We don't really have that in Sydney, if that makes sense. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, the main spots that myself and my teammate fish are canals. So you've got like sandbanks and like. Uh, rocky banks, rocky walls, like retaining rock wall. Uh, there's pontoons, and it's ninety percent of the places that we're fishing are like residential, like backyards and stuff like that. Uh, there's a lot of ways to chase them up here. Like you've got a lot of guys that'll uh, go out into the flats and throw either top water or like shallow diving cranks. Um, you've got guys that'll fish bridges, bridge pylons with cranker crabs, which is what we do as well. Um, you've also got your tiny little blades that people drop blades in deep water and stuff like that but realistically it all depends on the season as to where we're going to fish and yeah so yeah depends on the season so early season like right about now i'm going up into the canals and i'm throwing top water and little poppers and bent minnows and stuff like that for them whereas when it comes to if it's rained for like the last two weeks and the water's dirty I'll go up yep. into the canals once again, throw three-pound fluoro straight through with crankbaits and little things like that on them. And then when it comes to – I actually don't throw a lot of plastics. Um, I do throw plastics, but it's not my first go-to. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. Like a, you, you watch a lot of the old-school videos with like Starlo and Rex Hunt and stuff like that, and their first go-to is like your wrigglers and stuff like that. and. These days, there's that many different lures that you can chase brim on. It's, the wrigglers are one of the last, not last, but it, it's never your first pick to throw for brim anymore. 
I understand. Yeah, it's. I guess it's different depending on where you're fishing and how you're targeting them. I'd say ninety percent of anglers in Sydney, especially if they're land based, are throwing a plastic at this stage. Yeah, I guess hard, hard the hard body bite can be there. Some years it's fantastic. Uh, you'd pick up, you know, double digits over a quick bit. But other than that, I think these days, obviously Sydney. Maybe, I don't know if it's the rain or if there's just a lot more fishing pressure, like people were throwing lures that they're starting to sort of want that pause and that presentation to not be moving in a lot of cases. I guess on a boat, it's different as well. Well, that's it. Like, it all depends on how you're fishing as well. Like, if I'm going chasing a brim, not in the boat, in the boat, then I will throw like crankbaits and stuff like that. But 90% of the time, if I'm land-based, I'm not throwing crankbaits. It is so much easier to work a crankbait from a boat back to yourself as like working with the banks in the sand and whatnot like that than trying to throw them from the land. Like if I'm throwing from the land, it's like plastics, yes, and like your top water and stuff like that more or less. Yeah, that's that's great. Now, you actually touched on the question that I was going to ask you, which was about the next several months, you know, like we're in the tail end of summer now. And obviously you've mentioned that surface presentations right now is the go-to. I mean, yeah. in Sydney as well, some years surface is very good uh, at any time of day, pretty much even in the middle of the day, yeah. I've had good success even at night. I mean, it, they just, some years they just don't care. They'll, they'll be less, I, I guess they're just not as wise up to the wised up to the surface presentation as they are for the other lure types, and you know if 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 it's on, that's the best, literally the best way to get them. You get the most pleasure, oh, and it's extremely effective. And the bigger brim go for it too. Yeah. What do you think? So basically, what are we? We're in January now, so our first comp's next month. So the next say two to three months, we're going to be chasing them mo- mainly on top water. Uh, we'll chase them on top water. When it's summer, they normally sit higher in the water column. They're not sitting down in the cooler water and whatnot. They like to sit up the top from what we've worked out anyway. So the next couple of weeks, like next couple of months kind of thing, I'm going to be throwing a lot of top water. Um, you'll throw your brim prawns as well like that against pontoons and whatnot like that. Um, but, yeah, basically top water or even plastics, but like super lightweighted plastics, like 140s and 150s type of thing. So it's like real slow flutter type of thing, uh, kind of presentation but yeah like personally myself it's going to be mainly top water and pretty much top water only yeah let's talk a bit about this top water business right now this is probably a good area to sort of talk about so what sorts of maybe specific lures just to help the listener to sort of gauge so basically i have i think there's three three go-to lures basically when it comes to top water from room for me Unfortunately, the the two main two of them are not cheap lures, and right. there's a lot of there's a lot of knockoffs out there of them, but they just don't cut it with the normal ones. Like my main one is a bent minnow, the OSP bent yeah. minnow, the seventy six. I'm pretty sure sure it is the seventy six bent minnow is by far the best top water lure for brim. Um, you yeah. don't have to change a thing about it. As soon as it comes out of the box, it's good to go. Um, if you this, it's one thing with those with the bent minnows. If you change the hooks on them because you don't think they're going to hold up or anything like that, it's going to change the action on the lure a hundred percent. Like 
the Lua has its own action that it does itself, but it's just the presence and, and what it does and the way it sits is just top notch. Like it's top tier. Um, apart from that, you've got your, like any type of little tiny little two centimeter popper. They're fantastic as well. They'll cast a mile. And that's one thing I like about the Bentman is they, they cast an extremely yep. long way. And, um, I've lost the train of thought of the last. That's all right. I, I want to cut you off anyway. So yep. about the OSP bent minnow, OSP, all their lures are premiumly priced, but they just work, and you That's don't exactly want to. They put. I mean, I, just like a lot of other companies as well. Not just saying they're the only company, but OSP definitely do their research because you know everything that they present in that lure as it comes out of the box. They must have tested to the nth degree. Oh, and so you definitely. shouldn't change the weight of the hooks. You shouldn't change the split rings. You really shouldn't. And uh, no, when you said expensive lures, I thought 30 buck plus. What's $30 plus? It's the $33, $36 OSP bent 76. Exactly. They're, you're looking at like 35 to $38 depending on where you go for them. But it what? comes down to they work and that's why you buy them. Yeah, just a little bit about the, the bent shape. Why do you think they work so well, like the, the bent style in particular? Like OSPs, obviously, they, they're the original. They're the best. Why is a bent style effective? Like to, to say to me and you, we understand we've used them, but I know a lot of viewers would think, you know, what is that? It's not even straight. It's a banana bender sort well, of. Actually, that's it just there. Yeah, there you go. So, Grant, that's – you can see right there that – that, it yeah, doesn't yeah. have a long axis, which is Not symmetrical at, at any place along the lure. It looks like it's come out of the packet or come out of the factory defective to some anglers. So, so that, Yeah, exactly. Um, I think personally myself, the way I work them, it makes it look like a like a skipping baitfish or like a, a scared prawn type of thing or like a, a, hurt, a hurt baitfish essentially. So basically with the bent minnows, the way I work them personally, throw them out, let them sit on the water, and basically I'll f- I'm usually when I'm using a bent minnow, I'm sight casting. Right. So I'm I'm looking for brim. If I see the brim, like a pack of brim, I'll cast it on top. Like yep. land smack smack bang on top of them. Normally they'll scare for like a couple of seconds, but this is when it comes to they're very inquisitive. They ninety percent of the time they'll come back and have a look. And as soon as you see them start to come back and look, it's like a really aggressive twitch. And then just let it pause again. And 90% of the time on that pause is when they're going to smash it. And yeah, that's a great point there. That when they goes... hit it, uh, it's just another level of excitement. It's just, yeah, it's, it's fun watching them follow and smash it. How do you, yeah, how do you explain that crack? Like, I know uh, you've just put that imagery in my head. If you, anyone that's ever used Surface, it's like a swap or it's, I don't know what it is. It's like a really watery thud. The easiest way I can explain it is if you're you've got like a a size two sinker and you throw it in the water, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, it's unmistakable, like a little, like a little bullet type of thing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really cool to watch as well. And then when that rod just loads up with the in synchrony with the sound, oh, oh that's the best, the yeah. best. Hearing a drag peel after yeah. these things hit you on the surface, nothing better. Because I, I don't strike. I mean, you, I don't generally, no one should, I, I don't think many people strike no. when it comes to surface levels. You basically just, you work it and you don't keep too much slack in the line. And when that 
pressure comes on that hit and it loads, you keep that load on and you bring it in. Basically, yeah. There's been there's been a couple of times there where I've cast out, worked it, and then I've had someone in the boat with me or I've been in with someone else's boat and they've said something to me and I'm looking at them and then I've just gone to wine to kind of like work it again and there's literally yeah. a fish that's plucked it off the surface, taken it underneath, and I haven't even known. And he's just sitting on the uh, bottom of the uh, water with it in his mouth ready for me to pull him in. I've had it a couple yeah. of times, and it's super interesting because you don't really know he's there. Yeah, sometimes instead of, like, smashing it, they'll have, a, like, a sip at it. Yeah, like it's more like a like, slurp than anything. Yeah, and then it's just like you, you may not know that you're on, but once you put a little bit of winding and then the fish realizes it's connected to something, it just goes for that run. That is exactly oh, that's it, yeah. great. Now, that's, here's another question. I get asked this all the time when it comes to surface lures. Stingers. What's your opinion about retrofitting stingers? Now, we already know OSP. Maybe it's not necessary. Well, I have a couple of different, obviously. The other lure that I mainly use is called a Dilemma Popper. Um, yep. Now, the back of the Dilemma Popper comes with what I've known to call as a tinsel treble. So the treble has essentially tinsel hanging off the back of it to, as like a, a teaser type of thing. So... Um, when, with the dilemma poppers, when their hooks have gone on me, I sometimes put a, a stinger on the back of that or like your, um, I can't think of what they're called. Like a new treble, a uh, stinger. Yeah. Yeah. Like a feather. Yeah. Like a, like a feather or I'll even use like the, um, like the hooks that come on ZX forties. Yes. Little, yes. Uh, dual assists. Um, yep. I've been known, I've got a couple of these and some of them I've got all the hooks on like so, but then sometimes I'll change this hook here to a, like a cis hooks. Yep. Now, uh, mainly because of the way that the brim slurps. Sometimes they don't inhale the um, treble as much as they should um, with the cis in the middle there because 90% of the fish that you catch on or I've caught on bent minnows, they normally eat the middle treble, not the rear. Right. Um, yeah, which is I found really interesting. So I've on some of my bent minnows, I'll change the middle hooks. I'll take the uh, the treble off and put assists in the middle hook. Now, mainly because when they do come up and they slurp that in, they don't really know that they're slurping in a um, treble and they're slurping in small assists. And it, your hook rate hook up rate does increase that little bit, but you do lose a little bit of different action on the lure itself. Yep. So to me, in my mind. I think that, yeah, you increase that hookup rate, but sometimes the mere thought of surface fishing is to get that surface smash. So I sort of like stray away from retrofitting like sting hooks that will sit lower, you know, for that fact. So yeah. there's less there's less likely a chance for an explosion, which is, you know, sort of what I want. I want to see a big surface explosion. I want to see my mate go, what the, yeah. you know, look on his shoulder and then my reel just go, I'm going, yeah, I definitely agree with you. When it comes to that kind of thing, like that's where Dilemma Poppers are great fun. Like Dilemma Poppers are probably only like, I think they're 55 or 60 mil long. Yeah. Um, they have a massive ball in the inside of them. So when you're, so you're basically using them, they're called a Dilemma Popper, but you're basically more or less walking them like a walk a dog action. And when you're walking with that walk the dog action, all you hear is that treb, uh, the ball on the inside the bouncing ball. around and, some of the best hits that I've had with Topwater on Brim are with the Dilemma Popper, but my go-to, my first pick for Topwater is still your Bent Minnow. Is it just a short stab after sitting? Is that your most preferred action? 
for the OSP? Essentially, yeah. It's it's mainly like a cast out, let it kind of slap the water. So you're try, trying to get a nice high cast, slap the water, uh, then work it for maybe like three, four seconds and then pause for about the same. And then basically repeat that half of the way in. And once you're half the way in, unless you've had something slurp at it or you can visually see something following, then recast and start all over again kind of thing. What are some of your favorite colors when it comes to that lure? Uh, so I don't really know the names, but this one here. I don't know That's if all right. So it. we may not know the exact name, but color-wise, it looks like it's mostly white with a green actually, head, would you say? It's actually more of a clear. So it's like a, a clear in the middle and one side's like a greeny olive and then the bottom's got like a tinge of orange on it. Right. Uh, but that one there and then the other one, the main one that I mainly throw is your white, the plain white. Obviously, yep. on the Gold Coast, you get a lot of people that go at the back and throw their bread in the water. A bent minnow, white bent minnow, looks exactly like a piece of crust or like a piece of bread that's been thrown in the water. So, that's interesting. Yeah, I had a I had a guest talking about broom as well from Adelaide, and he said that he liked using white soft plastics because it looked like bird crap yeah. falling from yeah. the you know the snags when they sit on it and we've had just... we've had one day when we've been in a competition and we were fishing this bridge and just past the bridge on the left hand side the bank there was a lot of trees and like overhanging trees and it was hard to get a plastic underneath but if you could we were throwing uh salt and pepper the color is of the uh, brim prawns the aqua prawns yeah um, um, and we were basically throwing them on like an unweighted hook and skipping them under because you had ibises in the top of the trees shitting basically into the water and yep. you had these brim coming up and eating the poo off the top. So we're, yeah. sk- we're skipping brim prawns up underneath the water and hooking up to like these good sized fish. And basically yeah. that's, we, we sat there for about an hour and got our whole bag of 30 pluses out of this one little tree. It just boggles the mind why something like excrement they, they, they feed on. It just, I don't think it's so personally myself. I don't think it's like the actual fact that it's that's what it is. I think it's it comes back to when I was talking about the bent minnow slapping the water. I think yeah. it's more they're inquisitive as to as to say, oh, what's that? Just just hit the water. So, yeah. And they'll have a taste and then realize, ah, oh, you know. That's... Yeah, basically, I've seen multiple ones come up, hit it, and then spit it back out like two seconds later, kind of thing. Sort of like they they take a bite first and. Well, not take a bite, but you know what I mean. They they have a go first, and then they ask questions later. Like in this animal kingdom, you you gotta you gotta feed, you gotta hunt, and you've gotta you know support yourself. So yeah, they're, they're honestly they're little savages, and they're willing to pretty much eat anything that's put in front of them, as long as they're hungry. Basically, is there any other lure besides the you know the dilemma popper and the OSP? Is there like a third one that you wanted to mention? So I have – these are probably one of the big ones on the coast. Obviously, everyone should know these, the cranker crabs. Yep. Um, they're massive on the coast. So you're basically throwing them mainly against bridge pylons and like rock rock bars, like anywhere you'd think a crab would be. Um, them centered up along rock bars and um, – what is it? Rock bars and like – pontoons like pontoons as well against uh, retaining rock walls and bridges and stuff like that anywhere you can see an oyster essentially is where yep. you're throwing a cranker crab um we always use the heavies in the smaller version uh it just seems to work and uh, yep. yeah they're probably them and it's funny you go from throwing like four pound six pound on bent minnows to 
with cranker crabs, I'm throwing 10 and 12 pound with a two to four kilo setup because of basically the structure you're in. And you basically just want to, as soon as you've hooked up, you want to rip them out of there. Otherwise they're going to, they're going to get you around that pylon and whatnot like that. And I'm not keen on losing $25 crabs. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I, uh, I use 10 or 14 pound on some of these lures you know, like the mussel, the crab, yep. anything that sits on the bottom, I'm, I'd rather have another go rather than, you know, I'd rather maybe lower my chance of a bite, but still being a, with the shot because I know the areas that I fish, the snags have arms. They literally, these snags would just come up and just grab your lure <laughs> and just yank it away from you. And it doesn't matter what you do. So uh, I've lost, yeah. I've, I've had days where the cranky crab bite is on and I've lost multiple cranky crabs in one day and it's been an expensive day, but it comes down to if that's what's going to work, then so be it kind of thing. How do you work these lures? Do you jiggle them on the spot or with the cranky crabs, draw them to yourself? Most of the time where we're fishing them is like heavy current. So it's yep. more throwing them up current and letting them flow black flow back with the current um it's not so much moving them myself it's letting the current do the work for me kind of thing so it's more like a cast wait for a hit and if you don't get one maybe jiggle it once and bring it back in and recast essentially yeah because i've noticed that they will sit on like i've had i've thrown a cranker crab out once during a comp and i've let it sit on the bottom there next to a pylon for a good minute and a half two minutes type of thing and then have had a big fish come along inquisitive again have a go at it and then take off. And um, that's another thing that I've worked out with the crabs. It's like if you're throwing the crab and it's sitting on the bottom and you feel like a hit, 90% of the time that hit isn't actually a hit. The fish has already eaten it and that hit is it trying to shake the trebles out of its mouth. Right. Interesting take there, yeah. Yeah, it's something I worked out and not only from my knowledge but from other people's knowledge as well. But you've worked out that, it's not always, that's not always the hit. Like sometimes, yes, it is the hit, but depending on where you are, sometimes that there is them actually, they've already slurped it up off the bottom because you've got that little bit of slack and you may not know it, but that's them kind of trying to shake the lure out of its mouth type of thing. That does make sense. I've always thought that when I use the crab specifically, it can be hard to tell whether you've got a fish on. If you're sight casting, yeah, you could tell. Oh, yeah, definitely. Half the time when you're dropping it down, Either the line starts dropping, but if it's near the bottom, you can't tell whether the the bottom was the bottom of where you hit where the lure is, or if it's the bottom of the jaw of you know a brim's mouth. Well, that's it. Yeah, and I've, yeah, there's been times there where we've thrown them out, and you're like, well, I don't know what's going on. Like, okay, I'll wind in, and you'll go to wind in, and it's like, oh, there's actually a fish on there. You didn't actually feel the hit. So yeah, it, it sort of sense. loads up, and yeah. then you feel a thud, thud, thump, thump, thump. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, like it doesn't. It's like it doesn't even know that it was caught up until you started to try to well, that's winch it, it like, back un- up. Until, until you've loaded up on that line, he has no idea that you're there, basically. Any specific colors? So, you obviously, you like the heavy version. And I think that one looked like an olive green. Uh, olive, yes. Olive and it's mainly your olive. I, I don't mind the olive. Um, actually, no, that's the brown. Sorry, that's the brown, that one. But the, the brown, yep. the olive, and the other, it's like a black with like the orange claws, that as well. But it's mainly your browns and your olives up here that are probably your best off. Yeah. Do you 
use the sand one at all, or do you use any of the lighter colors? There's they've what have they got? They've got vampire. They've got sand. They've got yeah. There's the vampire sand. There's the green. The olive. Uh, the olive. The brown. Um, there's another one that's like a it's like a purpley like a sand with like a purple yeah. There's one that's actually well. called purple. Well, there like you go. Purple, purple. So. But no, mainly mainly for myself, it's the browns and the olives. Um, I do have a couple of the sand. I yep. don't throw them as much, but once again, it all becomes down to your setting. Like if I'm on pontoons with sand underneath them or sand banks kind of thing, I'll throw the sand ones. But most of the time, it's bridges and pylons and stuff like that where you're going to find like black and olive and green, excuse me, crabs that there more than anything else. What about... Hard bodies. We mentioned a little bit about the jackal chubby. Are there any other hard bodies, or maybe that's the one that you use most often? To be honest, jackal chubbies, they're probably one of the most ones I use, yes. But as of late, the new Infeet range, the 44s by Daiwa, are one of the main ones that I'm using. Um, The Kadachis, they're one of my favorites. Um, Just their action. Their castability, they cast an absolute mile. If need be, I can put new different hooks on them. Like I, with all of my um, cranks, I change all the hooks to a certain hook that I like. I don't actually have them handy, but yeah, um, like a Gamakatsu size twelve. I'm pretty sure it is a wide gap. Um, basically, run them on all my lures. They're probably yep. one of the best hooks around for brim. Like brim only, yes. Uh, don't use them for anything else. But uh, you got your pro lure as well. Your pro lure cranks, they're very not very good. They're probably one of your most affordable ones as well. I think they're only about 12, 13 bucks for what they are. And obviously, it's hard to go past the um, Atomic Brim Crank 38s. I'm pretty sure they are. That in a ghost gear is probably my favorite one out of all of, out of everything else. That is my favorite. That one yeah. there, the ghost gear brown in the deep, regular deep. Yeah, Atomic, the, uh, it's just a. The ghost gill in the deep is probably my favorite. That's what I was throwing the day that I got my uh, jack on two pound on because I didn't have anything else left. It was literally my last, my <laughs> last chubby in the box and threw it up against a rock wall and a pontoon. Risk it for the biscuit, as they say. That's pretty much it. Yeah, if I lost that, I was going back to plastics for the day. Because, but it ended up working out, and yeah, we did well. Do you like the deep divers, or do you sort of have? All three versions, I guess, like shallow, medium, and deep, and you sort of match. I never, I never really throw the shallows. It's either mediums or deeps. I'd rather my lure to be bouncing off the bottom, making like a muck in the sand than sitting on the surface kind of thing. If I'm throwing yep. surface, I'm obviously going to throw like bent minnows and stuff like that. So for personally myself, I, I never throw the shallow divers. Yeah. The reason I ask is because it might seem like an obvious question is, yeah, of course, if you want to fish shallow water, use shallow. If you want to fish deeper, use deeper. But the action changes ever so slightly and the wobble. Yeah. That's does that it, make sense? Yeah, so, no, it's very true. I find that the, the topwater ones, for when I've used them, the uh, the shallow divers don't have a much of more much of an action compared to the mediums and the deeps. I mean, I could be it could be different for everyone, but personally that's what I found. Uh, which is why I'd rather throw the mediums or the deep divers over the shallows. Yep. Like uh, the shallows specifically, some brands make it so that it is almost like a wake bait. Like yeah, only I have noticed centimeter. that. I have noticed that. And that's another reason why I'm not too fan of like 
yeah, I'd rather throw like a bent min or what like that than try and use a wake bait essentially. Yeah, wake bait's actually quite good. I mean, maybe not for brim, but for bass, it's not oh, bad. But for brim, I, I, I like I agree you said, with you there. Like, like you said, there's something about banging that hard body on the on the bottom. Yeah, no, like it's, it just yeah. it's it's that little bit of commotion, and once again, like it comes back to the whole thing that brim are very inquisitive fish and. You make a little commotion near them; they're going to be want to know what is that like kind of thing and want to come over to it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, what about let's move on away from lures and talk about conditions and you know things that may matter or may not matter. You know, time of day, tide, rainfall, barometer, wind, cloud cover, moon phase. How do you feel about those particular, I guess, options of your fishing section and what? may matter to you and what may not matter personally myself i'm still yet to work out perfectly the moon phases and whatnot like that uh but tides i'd rather fish a high tide like a like a decent size high tide than a run out tide like basically like i like fishing the top of the run uh, top of the run into the start of the turn yeah um and when it comes down to conditions i honestly can say this last year's tournament season that we fished we fished in every kind of season you could have, like every kind of condition. Like we fished sunny, like stupid hot days. We fished in the rain. We fished in days where it's that windy. We have to get in like two meters away from a pontoon or the bank to cast because it's so yep. windy and whatnot like that. Um, I fished deep water. I fished shallow water. Uh, I fished just before a storm hit. Um, fishing after the floods that we had last year as well. Uh, it makes it, makes it very interesting and when it comes to conditions you're basically changing your lures to um changing your lures to suit the conditions that you're about to fish in is realistically how it comes down to yeah i guess uh the one thing you mentioned there about the moon phase being something that's hard to determine whether it matters or it doesn't i think it just depends on the angler some anglers deeply uh, like believe that this particular face of the moon that's showing in the sky and when it rises and when it sets makes all the difference. And there's, there are those that they're undecided. They will, they're open to the idea. If they ever find a pattern that sort of, you know, that, you know, their experiences back up, if that makes sense. Oh, I completely agree that the moon phase does have something to do with how they're biting and whatnot like that. Uh, like I found that full moons generally like the day before day of and day after of a full moon, that I don't get obviously as many fish, which yep. obviously there is one. Okay, so there's one way that I've worked out about the moon, but your new new moons and like old moons and whatnot like that. That's still something I'm slowly, slowly figuring out. But it's obviously it comes with time, and yeah, I'm super keen to keep working it out. Like I think we've got our first tournament in like a month's time or whatnot like that. So it's going to be an interesting season. So it should be fun. Actually, it's probably a good time to talk about this tournament that that you that you're participating in. So, what is what is this tournament, and where are you going to be competing shortly? So, basically, the main tournament series that I fish is the QTS, which is your Queensland Team Series. Uh, it's run by Southport Fishing Club here on the Gold Coast. Uh, it's basically once a month. I'm pretty sure there's seven rounds this year, eight rounds, seven rounds plus a grand final. Um, Basically runs out of the broad border, which is your main system on the Gold Coast. Uh, from where it's situated in Southport there, you can go north all the way up to 
like your jumping pins and Jacob's Well and stuff like that. And you can go south down into the Narang River. And I'm not sure if you ever watched any of the old like AFC series, the Australian Fishing Tournament series and whatnot like that, that happened on the Gold Coast back when like Starlow and that were fishing in it. But your Narang River is insanely big. Um, right. Like we get around between 20 and 30 boats per, per tournament and you'll see 20 boats go south down into the Narang and you'll be lucky to see another boat in that whole day. Like you might see them, but it's very rare that you're sitting on top of them because of how That's much insane. system there is. Yeah, it's it, the Narang River system where most of the people that fish there is huge. Like it is insanely big. How would you describe the structure in that system? Is it a narrow river or is it like a really wide bay you know, sort of system. It's hard to explain because it, it changes so much uh, the further you go down. So it, it'll start out near the Broadwater as like a fairly open kind of system, like not open uh, as big as like you say your Harbour Bridge water area is. It's fairly tighter than that. But yep. you can go from like a decent size width system down into canals that are like you're struggling to put two boats in kind of thing. Right. So it's a it's a big variable system, which is why it makes it so good to fish. And what about broadwater itself? How's broadwater how itself? How would you describe that system? Um, the broadwater basically it's not so much a system as in as more like a body of water. So your broadwater is basically where you've got like um, your trawlers, which a lot of people fish as well. Um, you've yep. got like your marina mirage, which is like your main. Um, uh, it's like where Versace and stuff like that is. Like, obviously, it's out of bounds during a competition system, but you got it's basically where your channel is for the spit, which is where everyone goes out offshore and stuff like that as well. So your broadwater is not like a lot of people do fish it, and it's more of like a deep water fishing. But yep. um, yeah, if if you ask any like tournament fisher, brim fisher on the coast, they're heading north or south and not really sticking in your main channel of the broadwater mainly because when we're fishing these comps, it's on either on a Saturday or a Sunday and boat traffic through there is absolutely mental. So <laughs> it's trying to fish it is like trying to fish like offshore essentially in a way. You've got land yachts that are coming, like big yachts that are coming past you every couple of minutes and yeah, it doesn't make it enjoyable to fish at all, no. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a... Sounds like a bit of a situation at times there. Oh, very much so, very much so. I think I've nearly been thrown out of the boat a couple of times when you're standing there fishing a uh, like a rock wall and you're not looking behind you and a big boat comes past and the wake that it puts off is dipping higher than your boat is and yeah, you almost get thrown into the water a couple of times. Now, when you're chasing brim, you must get quite a few bycatch, you know, other species like you mentioned already, jacks. Yeah, for you example, may... how do you sort of like weed out or sort of if you know that in this area there's fish, some of it is brim and some of it is whatever else that might be out there. So um, your, your main like the the main bycatches that we get uh, your flathead mainly. So you'll mainly get flathead on your the, when we're brim fishing. Um, you, you you get the odd trevally that come through as well. Uh, yep. Obviously, you can't really decipher and not catch them essentially. Um, but yeah, you, you, uh, we've caught whiting on like divers as well, like little chubbies and stuff like that. Like they're not shy at all, but, um, yeah, it's the systems that we go in, they're predominantly fed by brim. Like you'll get your jacks and stuff like that in there and your flathead and whatnot. Like, but the main spots that we're going to fish, we already know that there's brim there 
it's your main our, our main uh, place to go kind of thing. It's yep. yeah. It's it's hard to decipher between like everything else because they're obviously everywhere type of thing. But yeah, it's it's not an easy task trying to decipher through them, but it does get it done. Yeah, I mean. I mean, you wouldn't be disappointed if you hooked a massive flathead. Oh no, not at all. For example, I mean, my mate, I, I don't. We fish on my mate's boat. He's got a decent sized boat. He's a five two nine, and he has two live wells in it for a reason. So <laughs> it helps yeah. out. Oh, let's talk a little bit about gear. I think I've gone through heaps of things already. Oh, if there's anything that you'd like to discuss, yeah, definitely let me know. But I think gear is the next easiest or next obvious point that we haven't gone through. So just real brief, real briefly, yeah, how so, like how would you set up your gear for your surface and maybe so your hard body combos? Mainly my hard bodies are, I'm looking at like a, oh, what is it? Like a two to six pound rod, something that's really, really flimsy. I'm, you're looking at like a seven foot, seven foot two, uh, sometimes a seven foot six as well. Like nice, long, very soft tip, something that's, you're right, um, something that's like very soft and like, you can feel everything coming down through, uh, coming down through that rod. Basically, with, yep. that's with uh, hot, uh, crankbaits and whatnot like that. Um, I'll use the same kind of rod, but mainly a seven foot for your top water. A little bit heavier, mainly like a one to three kilo. So it's a little bit stiffer in the tip. So it's a little bit easier to work the lure. Um, then when it comes to like crank crabs and like plastics, is the same type of setup. It's like a two thousand size reel, one to two thousand size reel. Uh, like six brown braid, like 0.6 pound braid, uh, six pound liter, drop down to four pound liter if need be during the day kind of thing. Um, yeah. Same with plastics. Plastics is the same type of thing as hard uh, your top water. So those kind of very versatile setups. Excuse me. Yep. Um, and then when it comes to cranky crabs, you're looking at a heavier setup, like a, a 2500 with like a – my actual favorite rod to use for cranky crabs is the old school Daiwa Aired rod. Um, right. It's rather flimsy, but it's got such a stiff back that I can basically rip these fish out. Um, I run that with like a 2500 size reel, like your Daiwa reel. I'm a big Daiwa fanboy, so my, most of my stuff is all Daiwa. Um, but yeah, so like, and with uh, Cranker Crabs, you're looking at like a eight pound braid. I'll run, I may around six pound braid, but it's more like an eight pound braid, sometimes 10. Yeah. So more like a 0.8 than anything else. And with a, Anywhere from eight to twelve pound liter, because it's more wanting to rip those fish out than lose a lure and lose a fish. Yeah, it makes sense. It sounds like you have a style of fishing where you prefer soft tips, and then if you need the power, it's in the the mid section. And es- essentially, yeah, like my favorite rods that I use are the obviously the infeats and. I've found that I've used the $189 ones, like your cheap models, and I've used them more expensive bottles. And personally, I keep going back to the, the the lower model because I just like the feel of the rod itself and in my hand. And yeah, yeah it's just, I like them. They're very, very good rods. They're probably one of your perfect brim rods that you can use. Yeah, fun fact. I, I lost, uh, so anyone that's listening, I lost an in-feet rod at mcmahon's point so if you guys winch that out from the wharf let me know <laughs> oh no <laughs> no nah, i'm kidding if you guys find it yeah enjoy the rod enjoy the <laughs> reel that comes with it in my heart it's already gone so we parted ways like uh it's not giving me any further pain thinking about what happens to my in feet grant <laughs> uh that's never a good thing never ever a good thing. no but i understand what you mean by that sort of like 
it's it's a very like comforting sort of like forgiving action in the yeah. tip. Yeah. It's it's something that you've gotten you've gotten to get used to. And now that I'm so used to it, it's what I keep going back to and it's just like you know what the rod's going to do, you know what you've got to do to do a certain thing with the rod and it's just it almost comes naturally after using it for so long. Any like specific brands of braid or leader that you swear by? I mean, um, you may not, but if you do. So my main leader that I use is, it's really hard to find, but when you find it, I bulk up on it. It's your Harris Fighter. Uh, I can't remember who it's made by. I think it's Yamatoya. Uh, it is, yep. Could be wrong. Yeah, that's um Yamatoyo or Yamatoya. I think I think yeah, like one that. of the, I think it's Yamatoya. But yeah, Yamatoya, yeah. Harris Fighter, that and the four and the six pound is my go-to. Uh, anything eight pound up is all FC Rock. Uh, my line, I back end of last year when uh, I think it's Samaki brought out the YGK stuff. Yep. Um, the YGK Pentagon. I really like that stuff, so I'm using that in like. And there's another one by YGK. I can't remember what it's called, but it's um in the gold packet. It's like a white colored braid. Um, right. That in a point six as well. The breaking strain on that stuff is insanely good. Like it's a point six braid with a, a fourteen pound breaking strain, which is like nuts uh it's very yep. like super thin easy to cast um i've never had a wind knot with it uh it ties and i'm like i'm tying fg knots on this 0.6 to 4 pound and it yep. ties perfectly and i know there's a lot of people out there who are going to hear that and be like why are you tying fg knots but personally when i'm going on to a brim tournament the night before everything's got an fg knot if I'm out in the boat and I have time, I'll tie an FG knot if I have to retie. But yep. if I'm on the boat, it's normally like a double uni or something like that. But just get it done quickly. But yeah, don't feel alone. I tie FG knots on the water as well on the 0.6 PE four pound six pound liters. So well, that's it. Like I, I personally, I never used to tie an FG. I used to always tie a double uni. And then when I started jack fishing, is when I taught myself how to tie an FG, like I watched a couple of videos like Briggsy and Froth Cafe, like uh, Johnny Brooks, watched their videos on and basically mixed their two FG knots together and made one. And uh, I started basically when I was jack fishing in almost pitch black conditions is when I started tying FG knots. So yep. I've got my FG knots down to almost under a minute now, which is pretty handy. That is good. Yeah. Sub, that, that should be some sort of, uh, you know, achievement. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with sub, how quick sub I can Sub one tie minute. Them. <laughs> I mean, there are a few things that are achievements. Definitely FG under one minute is a, is a big achievement. Yeah, some, it's, and, it's not yeah. always under a minute, but it's yeah. pretty, pretty close. <laughs> I think another one would be if you can tie the FG knot without using your mouth and every single toe. And this, well, yeah, know. I don't actually, my FG knot does not go in my mouth at all. It's all my fingers, basically, like standing on my line and all my fingers. That's like me. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I only use my hands and... The spool's somewhere else keeping tension and it's not yeah, in my mouth. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Because, you know, in Sydney, a lot of our systems are quite polluted and the last thing you want is to dip that line in the Cook's River <laughs> where the three-eyed fish is and then dip it in your mouth and then go, hmm, that tastes, that tastes funny. Yeah, no, and I'm then tie not a fan of that off, at all. So. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Um, but... Yeah, definitely. I want to like make mention here that FG knots aren't essential for anyone that's listening and oh, you tie the Albright. I always like bag out people that tie Albrights, but you know, there's nothing wrong with an Albright. It just doesn't agree with me. You know, I, I do tie it, so I do use it. If there's a bust up, 
in front of me, Kingfish or Tuna, whatever it is, is busting up and I pop off my leader, Albright's coming straight on. I don't like it, but Albright's the fastest knot I can tie given like five, ten seconds to get that lure back out there. So oh, definitely. But, if you if you're in a place where you need to get a lure back in the water, tie whatever's easier for you. If you've got to tie nine granny knots, tie nine granny knots, but it's all on you. <laughs> that's right, Grant. How does that saying go? If you don't know how to tie knots, tie, tie lots. Tie, tie lots. lots, that's right. Yeah. Tie lots. But I mean that's how I started fishing. You go you go fishing the first time you've never fished before. You need to join two bits of line or join a hook or a sinker to the end of your line. What do you do? You just tie Granny upon granny upon granny the, to like, yep, that's tight. You see people tying granny knots and granny knots. It's like, mate, if that works for you, then go hard. If you want to know how to tie another knot, then I'll show you, but you do you, bud. <laughs> All right, Grant. All this talk about brim fishing is getting me G'd up. I started to wonder how your day would start. Like, say, if you were to take us through from the night before, you know, you're going fishing. So it's been raining for like the last 29 days. The skies are finally parting way. The sun's coming out on the 30th day. You've been waiting this whole month to fish. You're finally getting your chance tomorrow. Take me through the process of what it takes and, you know, your emotions and all that from the night before till when you cast that first lure. Uh, always, you're always going to be super keen. So the night before, I'll be sitting in the garage tying fresh knots. Even if I've had knots on there that I know are going to hold, I'm always tying fresh knots before any day fishing. Tying knots, lures on everything in the car ready to go all my gear ready to go food packed fridge packed try and get to sleep and normally it's about an hour and a half maybe two hours sleep because you're too keen to get up and get fishing that sounds like me i'd get sometimes i don't even get a single minute mate nights before comp days i reckon i get about an hour maybe two hours sleep before i'm up at five o'clock and heading down to the down to the ramp to go fishing but yeah 90 percent of the time it's 90% 90% of the time it's going to be a good day and there's going to be you're going to have those off days but and any day out on the water is better than, better than a day at home is what I say but fishing's fishing and you can go out there and get busted off 35 times and lose 300 bucks worth of lures or you can go out there and use one lure all day and bang 40,000 fish so all depends on how you feel about it and how you want to look at the outlook yeah actually I've had that happen before the atomic that atomic diver has yep. been that one lure that's done all the damage. I have one of those atomic divers in my box that I reckon is almost crystal clear because it has no paint left on it wow i I was getting to that stage, Grant, let me tell you until I lost it in a tree and i <laughs> I've been spewing ever since I did that with a bent minnow. I bought a bent minnow, one of the first the actual first bent minnow I ever bought. Cost me thirty seven dollars, and I went down to the uh, down to one of the local little spots that we have here. First cast, I put it across the river into a tree and snapped off, and that's probably still there to this day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Grant! Look, uh, thank you very much for coming on this podcast. Gonna gonna wrap it up here. I think the viewers are definitely gonna like listening and watching to this one. Now, how can people get in touch with you? And are there any people or sponsors that you'd like to mention that have contributed, you know, to your journey, your fishing success? Uh, mainly, you've got my Instagram, Redbeard X Adventures. Uh, you got my YouTube, which is Redbeard Adventures, also. Uh, and I just want to say thank, obviously, thanks to Sporties. Uh, they're not actually a sponsor sponsor, but they support me whenever I need to. Um, and also Gangster Lures, who jumped on board not long ago, they've been setting us up with uh, clothing and whatnot like that. So yeah, it's been going good. So. Basically, thanks to them. Tony at Sporties, obviously, the my Brim tournament 
uh, partner Steve as well. Like we only met a year and a half ago, and we've been going pretty good, and we're looking forward to another very good season this year. Awesome, Grant. All right, ladies and gents, going to wrap up the podcast here. That was Grant Painter, Red Beard Adventures. Now, this is for the Shroom Live podcast, and if you want to come on or you know someone that needs to come on and talk fishing about any species, you know, Australia-wide, tell them to contact me. Love to have them on because I think if you guys are enjoying this podcast, I'm going to keep this going. And, uh, yeah, that's it from me. This is The Shroom signing out.